Good morning, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Lauren, and I'm one of the ministers on staff here at Calvary. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us here this morning, and we want you to know that you are welcome. You will need a worship folder and one of the hymnals in front of you to guide you in our worship service this morning. If you're a visitor, we would like you to know that we are very glad that you're here, and we'd love to follow up with you by phone or email. One of the ways that this can happen is if you take one of the visitor cards that are located in front of you in the pew and fill them out and place it in the offering plate as it comes around later in the service. This is also a way you can ask about the different ministries happening at Calvary and to let us know how we can be praying for you as the week goes on. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to look at things that we're used to in a new way, to take the familiar out of the boxes that we've created and to view them in a different light taking Bible stories that we've heard maybe a hundred times and asking, are we missing something here? Even taking God out of the boxes that we feel comfortable putting him in in the hopes of having new experiences with him. Today we'll focus on a story about great betrayal and even greater forgiveness. We'll see how God can use any situation that the world has meant for evil for our good.
holy God. You are God of mysteries, surprises, and limitless love. Every box we try to construct for you is never quite the right shape or the right size. Every expectation we have is met with a box-shattering surprise. While we set limits on you, on ourselves, and on others, you invite us to see a bigger picture. You set no limits on love, justice, mercy, or compassion. So God, we ask you today that in this place that you surprise us once again, and that you give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts of unboxed, limitless compassion. Amen. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice, the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old voice inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, there's a pain. for the children's message, please. Good morning. Okay, so the last few weeks, we've been placing a very special object in this box and then trying to guess what it is. So, <laughs> Asher knows what's going on. Who would like to feel inside the box without looking and try and guess what it is? Okay, Katie, come on. Can't look though, close your eyes. What do you think it is? It feels like clothes. Clothes, okay. You wanna try? What do you think it is? Clothes? Okay, Davis, come here. Don't look. 
Cloth. Okay, Jada, if you if it's clothes or cloth, you want to guess what kind it is. A shirt. What about something else? You want to guess, Charity? Fabric, okay. Katie, what kind of clothes do you think it is? A dress. A dress. Okay, let's see what it is. Oh, you were right, it's a dress. So this is my dress. What do you notice about it? It's got what? Patterns, yeah, what else? Lots of colors, okay, cool. So is there a Bible story that you can think of that um, this might remind you of that has something with lots of colors in it, like a piece of clothing? What do you think? Can we come back to you? Okay, what do you think, Carolyn? Ooh, who was the guy with the jacket full of many colors? He got thrown in a pit, yeah, what was his name? <laughs> Joseph, yeah, that's right, very good, okay. Who knows something about Joseph? Did he have lots of siblings? Yeah, who can tell me how many brothers he had? Ooh, he had more than five. How many? Eight, more than eight. Twelve. So there's twelve of them all together. He had, how many sisters do you think he had? Zero. He had one, so he had one sister. He had 11 brothers. I'm going to guess and say that's probably more brothers and sisters than y'all have. Yeah? Well, Charity, you come really close, though. That's true. Okay. <laughs> so do you think they always got along? No. Do you all get along with your siblings all the time? Yeah. What? That sh <laughs> is very adamant. Wow, that shocks me. <laughs> okay, if I was going to put this dress on, do you think I'd go and work outside? No. 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 What do, you, do you remember what Joseph did? What did he do, Davis? He went to the, went to the um, chapel. Well, do you remember what he did? Like, for his father for a living? He was a shepherd and he was a Yes, he was a shepherd, good. But just like Joseph, um, just like me, if Joseph were to put on that colorful coat, that's not really to work in, right? So if you and your siblings had to go work and then your parents were like, oh no, they don't have to, but you still do, would that be fair, do you think? Yeah. Would you be like super thrilled about that? No, no it's not very fair. And you know what? Joseph's brothers didn't think it was very fair either. So what did they do? Do you remember? They sold him to Pharaoh. They did. They sold him into slavery and then... For 20 pieces of silver. Wow, for 20 pieces of silver. Very specific. Very good. They also tore up his coat. Yeah, they tore they up his coat. Well. They hid the clothing. They couldn't go in to that. Right. So they told his father Jacob that he'd been killed, right? Now... Was it probably the best decision if they were upset to do something wrong? No. So if, even if our parents are wrong, which, you know, never happens, but even if they are, we shouldn't do something wrong either, right? That's still not okay. That's right. So in the Bible, it says that what Joseph's, Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God intended for good. So what happened after he was sold into slavery? What did God do? Steal. Yeah, he could interpret dreams, and so he went to work for Pharaoh. Good, and so there was a famine in the land, and his brothers and his father couldn't get any food, so they came and asked him for help. Now, if your brother and sister had sold you into slavery, thrown you in a pit, yes, and lied, yeah, you're right, would you want to help them if they came asking you for help later on? You don't, not really, okay, yeah. But do you think God would want you to? Yeah, what is that word that we use in times like this? We need to do what for them? Be kind. Forgive. Forgive them, yeah. So Joseph did that, and he helped them, and he gave them food, and then they were able to be a family again because he forgave them. 
And sometimes forgiving other people, especially our siblings, is really hard. But God can turn a really bad situation into something good, right? Okay. Y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you. If you've got praise, he's a change maker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, He's a A reading from the book of Genesis. Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to tell my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me, so that I may give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you may enjoy the fat of the land." You are further charged to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Give no thought to your possessions, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The children of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the instruction of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is even ruler over all the land of Egypt. He was stunned. He could not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of the father Jacob revived. Israel said, Enough! My son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. A reading from the book of Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God will not always accuse, nor will God keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
He's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got changed, he's a chain breaker. struggle with forgiveness years ago. Jane did a lot of things to my family. Then she did something that caused me to proclaim, I'll never forgive her for that. Immediately, I was surrounded by, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, forgive your enemies. I learned that God is persistent. The very next Sunday, the pastor preached on forgiveness God also has a sense of humor. While flipping channels, I paused on a soap opera. A soap opera character said, the Bible says we should love our enemies. (laughs) In the grocery store line, a woman behind me told her friend, I told her, it's clear you're not praying for Mary. If you did, you'd have a better attitude. Man, God had it in for me. I refused to think about loving my enemy. Forgiving was ridiculous because she didn't even act like she was sorry. And what would prayer do? And praying for her would be a lie. I was so miserable. Finally, I caved in and prayed. Of course, I had to pray in a way that wasn't a lie. Dear God, please give Jane everything she needs. You know I don't mean a word of it. I think that was his response, too. I learned that God is accepting of where I am in life. Later, I stopped saying the stupid prayer, but I continued to pray for her. The woman in the grocery store was right. Praying finally made a difference in my attitude. It took me two years to forgive. Then God let me know that I wasn't finished. I had to apologize to Jane for my part. I'm a slow learner. It took me two years before I was ready to apologize to her. I learned that God is patient. However, there was something going on at the time, and I didn't think Jane would believe me. She would think I was trying to get on her good side. I asked Charles, an impartial observer, and he agreed. So I waited another year. By then, I was really anxious to get it over with. But I couldn't decide how to do it. If I apologized for A, B, and C, she might bring up something that I hadn't considered. I could just see myself blurting out, I'm not sorry about that. (laughs) I finally realized I could make a general apology. So I called her and made a general apology. She agreed that I had hurt her. I apologized again, and we hung up. I don't know what was going on at her house, but in my house, I was dancing around the kitchen singing, I am free. I am free. Two years later, a friend told me that Jane had talked to her and admitted that she had started the whole thing and that it wasn't even necessary. She has never apologized to me, but I'm okay. I don't need it. I have a better understanding of her now. If God wants her to apologize to me, he will let her know and guide her in whatever steps she needs. I don't ever want to be that person that I was again. Now I forgive as I go. That helped tremendously when someone else came along and harmed our family. I don't know why God hasn't acted in this case, but I trust him. He also gave us a couple of people that have been an unexpected blessing to us. Oh. 
God's injustice, pardon, Señor, for all of our indifference, pardon, Señor, pardon, Señor, pardon, Señor. We're shackled by our habits. Chained to disobedience, Perdón, Señor, Perdón, Señor, Perdón, Señor. As we forgive our others, Perdón, from all idols I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Amen.
going to continue our scripture reading in Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and for your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know if any of you have watched the new television show, A Million Little Things, on ABC. Who's watched that? A few people out there. I have become intrigued by its storyline over the past few weeks. It's about four complete strangers who get stuck in an elevator together one day and end up becoming best friends. Now, while the storyline may sound warm and lighthearted, the show isn't a comedy. Even within the first three episodes, it has already dealt quite seriously with real-life issues of mental health, suicide, cancer, betrayal, secrets, and grief. After all, it's never just one thing going on in our lives and in our relationships with each other. It's always a million little things. Well, if you haven't watched this week's episode, I'm about to give a bit of a spoiler. If you want to cover your ears, the pastor is giving you permission. I saw that concerning. (laughs) But I'm also not giving too much away, so hang with me. This week, the main characters are going on a guy's trip to fulfill their dream of going to hockey fantasy camp where the Boston Bruins play hockey. So these four guys are huge Boston Bruins fans, and they sit together at every game. But right as they are getting ready to pull out of the driveway on their trip, they discover the secret that we have known since the very first episode. One of their friends, Eddie, has done something that is absolutely devastating to the rest of them. And they are all reeling in anger and shock and disbelief. And Eddie is begging them for forgiveness and just trying to explain what happened. But the other guys are so upset that they pull out of the driveway and head on the trip without him. Except when they get to hockey fantasy camp, Eddie shows up to join them. So they all end up playing a game of hockey together. But they immediately begin fighting each other instead of the opposing team. And then there's this beautiful moment at the end when they look up and they see their seats in the stands. They remember all of the times they've had together and how significant this place is to them. And they actually end up pulling together to win the game. It's a moment that you think might just bring healing to a really awful situation. And Eddie hopes this might bring his friends just one step closer to forgiving him. But just as they are getting ready to celebrate and walk off into the distance together, another one of the guys, Gary, takes off his hockey masks and says, what do you think this is? The end of some sports movie where we all come together, beat the other guys, and everything is healed between us? I don't think so. 
This is real life. And Eddie, what you did is unforgivable. Good game, gentlemen, but I'll find my own way home. And what I loved about this raw moment in the show was just that it was so honest and real. It didn't try to tie things up with a bow so that the guys magically lived happily ever after. Because that's just not how real life works, is it? Forgiveness, true forgiveness, is hard and messy and complicated. It's not just what's happening on the surface. It's always what has to do with what's hidden beneath the surface. And it's never just one thing. It's not that simple. Forgiveness is almost always a million little things. Well, it's in another hard, messy, and complicated situation that we find ourselves in today's scripture reading at the end of Genesis. But before we get there, I need to give a bit of the backstory leading up to this moment. The kids did a really good job of that earlier, actually. I probably could have cut out a bit of this. Way to go. <laughs> so Joseph was his father's favorite son. All of his brothers knew it, and they hated him for it. And it's true. I think Joseph could be a bit obnoxious about that, too. But one day, his brothers ganged up on Joseph and sold him into slavery. And then they returned home with his robe, torn up and covered in blood, and told their father, Jacob, that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold as a slave to Pharaoh in Egypt. Now the thing is, Joseph didn't stay in slavery for very long. He ultimately worked his way up to becoming second in command to Pharaoh because he had this uncanny gift for interpreting dreams. And he was the only one who could explain Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh began to trust him. So years later, when famine hit the land, Joseph was a-okay because of his position with Pharaoh. In fact, Joseph became the governor of the land, and his job was to sell grain to the rest of the people coming to Egypt for help during the famine. Well, when the famine reached Jacob and his sons, he sent them to Egypt to buy grain. That's what everyone was doing. Except when they arrived and they approached the governor to buy grain, they had no idea that the governor was their brother. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, immediately recognized his brothers, but he didn't reveal himself right away. He gave them a series of tests to complete. Now, now some people interpret these tests as Joseph's acts of revenge on his brothers, and others see it as Joseph's way of discerning if they have really changed. But whatever his motivation, a few chapters later, he finally reveals his identity to them and sends them back to their father with carts full of grain, new clothing, animals, food, and all of the finest things in Egypt. So the brothers go back home and tell their father that Joseph is alive. They have this incredible reunion, and Joseph is finally able to be reunited with his father and to receive a blessing from him before he passes away. And then the text I read earlier in Genesis 50 picks up right after their father has died. Joseph's brothers are afraid of what he might do to them now that daddy is gone. So they send him a message that says this, Your father left these instructions for you before he died. He said, Joseph, forgive your brothers for the sins they committed in treating you so badly. Now, I read that this week, and I just paused and said, Hmm. And I have multiple questions and concerns about what's going on here. First, I, I just don't see genuine repentance here from the brothers for everything they've done. I do think we have seen repentance from Judah back in chapter 44, but whether the other brothers are ever truly sorry for selling Joseph into slavery and faking his death and taking him away from his father for all those years, it's pretty unclear here at the end of the story. Second, it's also not clear to me that Joseph's father actually wrote this letter. 
I mean, if it were that important to Jacob that Joseph forgive his brothers, wouldn't he have said this to Joseph in their reunion before he died? He had several opportunities to share his dying wish with his favorite son. Putting that in an awkward two-sentence letter for the other sons to deliver to Joseph on his behalf just doesn't add up to me. And then third, I'm also not convinced that Jacob ever knew what his sons actually did to Joseph in the first place. There is no evidence in the text that they ever told him. Even when they met Joseph in Egypt and they went back home with all the carts of grain and gifts, all they said to their father was, guess what? Joseph is alive and he's the ruler of Egypt. It's a miracle. We never see them really fess up to what they did. And so here we are in the final verses of Genesis, and none of this is tied up with a bow, is it? Joseph has lost over 20 years of life with his family. All that time his father thought he was killed by a wild animal, and now his father has just passed away. And instead of asking for forgiveness themselves, it seems to me that Joseph's brothers devise a plan to come up with a get-out-of-jail-free card a forged note from their recently deceased father to his favorite son. And I'm not alone in this reading of the text. Cameron Howard, who's a professor at Luther Seminary, notes that here at the very end of Genesis, the brother's posture toward Joseph has not changed. She says they are still liars and manipulators themselves. They play on his deep love for his father, knowing that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And although the narrative does not specify outright that their words are not truthful, the fact that they speak out of fear, combined with our own understanding of their character, makes it difficult to read this passage any other way. They beg for forgiveness, not with their own voices, but by co-opting the voice of their dead father. How messed up is that? And yet... How true to real life is that? Sure, there are moments when you and I receive genuine apologies and requests for forgiveness, and those can certainly be hard in and of themselves. But how many moments are there like this one when we haven't received a genuine apology? Like Sharon so bravely shared earlier. Sometimes we wait for it for years. And sometimes we know that it's just not going to come. I don't know about you, but it's these moments that make me want to say forget it and chuck the idea of any kind of forgiveness out the window. (laughs) I mean, the least they could do is apologize, right? Acknowledge their part in this. Realize what they did and how much it hurt me. Take responsibility for their actions. Own up to what they did. Look me in the eyes. Be brave enough to say it to my face. Except when you and I get going on this emotional hamster wheel, the harder it becomes to get off. I got to meet one of my preaching heroes this week, Barbara Brown Taylor. And so it's only right that I would share some of her wisdom in this story today. In writing about anger and forgiveness, she says this, Staying angry with you is how I protect myself from you. Refusing to forgive you is not only how I punish you, it's also how I keep you from getting close enough to hurt me again. And nine times out of ten it works, only there is one serious side effect. It is canned bitterness, and it can do terrible things to the human body and soul. She goes on to say that unforgiveness is a boomerang. We use it to protect ourselves, to hurt back before we can be hurt again, but it has a sinister way of circling right back at us so that we become the victims of our own ill will. You often hear it said that hurting people hurt people. And if you and I don't do something to transform our pain, we will transmit it instead. 
You see, practicing God-sized forgiveness isn't just what we are called to do for the people who have hurt us. It's ultimately what you and I are called to do in order to be whole ourselves. It's like Peter once asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive the person who has sinned against me? Maybe up to seven times. That sounds good, right? (laughs) And Jesus responds, seven times? Hardly. Try 77 times. And that might just be the start. Because Jesus knew that practicing forgiveness isn't just seven things. It's a million little things. And Jesus calls us to practice God-sized forgiveness in a multitude of ways until forgiveness for us becomes a way of life. On the morning of October 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts a milk truck driver in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, saw his children off to school on the bus and kissed his wife, Marie, goodbye before leaving the house. Three hours later, he called to tell Marie that he was never coming home. She said his voice sounded flat and lifeless. That day, the nation was shocked to learn that this man had stormed into a one-room Amish schoolhouse shooting ten young girls, killing five of them, and ultimately himself. But amidst the unfathomable pain and unthinkable tragedy of this moment, what was almost just as shocking as what began to unfold in the hours and days to come. Hours after hearing the news, a group from the grieving Amish community came to visit his wife, Marie. She says that she was standing at her parents' kitchen sink, and she could see a group of Amish people walking up toward her parents' home. She didn't know why they were there, but she couldn't even think about looking them in the face in that moment. So her father offered to go outside and talk to them instead. She says, I couldn't hear the words they were saying, but I could see the exchange that was happening. I could see their arms extending and the way they laid their hands on my dad's shoulder. I could feel the emotion of that moment, you know, and it said almost everything. Her father walked back into the house with food and flowers in shock. He said that somehow, some way, they had forgiven her husband. And that was just the beginning. The Roberts family had a private burial service for Charles a few days later. And as they made their way to the gravesite, thinking not that many people would show up, as many as 40 Amish people came out of nowhere to offer their condolences to the family. Several families who had buried their own daughters just the day before were there to hug Marie and other members of her family. And then when the media arrived, the Amish people stepped in again, forming a crescent of protection around the family to give them privacy. Even though they don't like to have their pictures taken, They actually placed themselves directly in front of the news cameras to shield the family. Marie said, it was one of those moments during the week where my breath was taken away, but not because of evil, but because of love. Marie says that she too has come to forgive Charles, though it hasn't been easy. Charlie had an illness, she said, and that doesn't excuse what he did. But you know, if I allow bitterness and anger to live inside of me, those are the very things that pushed him to do what he did. And I don't want anything to do with that. And it's not like I could forgive him once for what he did and never have to think about it again, she said. It's something that I still think about all the time. Because forgiveness, true forgiveness, is hard. 
and it's messy, and it's complicated. It's not just what's happening on the surface level. It usually has to do more with what's hidden beneath the surface, and it's never just one thing. It's not that simple. Forgiveness is always a million little things. When Joseph is asked to forgive his brothers, he weeps. And he responds with what I think are some of the most outside-the-box, completely unfathomable words in Scripture. He says, even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good. I don't know about you, but I can't think of any more faithful and forgiving words than that. After that, it's interesting to me that his brothers weep too and fall down before him. Maybe repentance is possible for them, after all, too. Ultimately, it requires a depth of faith to be able to see what the world has intended for evil and to take it out of the boxes we've packed shut with resentment and pain and bitterness in order to see it in a different light. It requires a depth of pain to forgive even when we never receive the apology that we have been hoping for and praying for. And yet, isn't this exactly what we see from Jesus, who even from the cross looked at those around him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I realize that today's sermon is likely a heavy topic for many of us. There aren't easy answers for any of us in this today. And so I'm not going to put forgiveness in a box and tie it up with a bow. But I will say this, and that is before you and I can ever begin to offer God-sized forgiveness We must first receive it ourselves. Which is why I think today is a perfect day for us to continue in worship by receiving the Lord's Supper together. By coming to the table to receive the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. Friends, there is no better example of God-sized forgiveness than that. And so as we come today, let us remember that there is more mercy in God than sin in us. There is more joy in God than sadness in us. There is more hope in God than despair in us. And there is more light in God than darkness in us. Thanks be to God. And so God... I don't know the heavy boxes and packages and burdens that we are carrying with us in this room today, but you do. I pray that this might be a space where we can unpack them a bit and where we might feel a little lighter walking out than we did walking in this morning. God, convict us of the ways in which we need forgiveness. Help us to see the ways in which we might be just like Joseph's brothers. Help us also to see the ways that we might need to take one step closer to offering forgiveness. God, it's hard and it's messy and it's complicated and it's never just one thing. But I find such hope in these words, that there is more mercy in you than sin in us. Help us to remember and hang on to these words and to live as people who have been abundantly forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, you've heard today over and over again that God is always working outside of the boxes we put God in. And maybe you are ready to take a leap of faith to step outside of your box and to begin to follow God and to walk in the ways of Jesus. Or maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary 
where we follow Jesus together, sometimes in very outside-the-box kind of ways, but in the best ways that we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however you feel led to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Freedom's calling, chains are falling, hope is dawning, bright and true. Day is breaking, night is breaking, God is making all things new. Jesus saves.
Christian and activist Corey Ten Boom reminds us that forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. We hear these words from a meaningful figure in modern day history, but we also hear about the importance of forgiveness from Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus was asked by one of his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, as Mary Alice shared, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus' response was surely not what he wanted to hear. Not seven times, but 77 times. Forgiveness is seldom easy and never comfortable. Oftentimes it feels more painful than the wound we suffered to forgive the one who inflicted it. And yet there can be no peace without forgiveness. There can be no peace without pushing ourselves to live outside the comfortable box that we're so often content to dwell. Now we are invited to receive a meal that is symbolic of God's unimaginable grace and never-ending mercy. And remember Jesus' death on the cross. For this meal and for its reminder, I say this morning, thanks be to God. Anyone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ is welcome to take the Lord's Supper today. You'll receive a piece of bread and can then dip it into the cup. And if you'd like to receive communion in your seat, just raise your hand and a deacon will be glad to come and serve it to you. There will be three stations in the front and a gluten-free station in the back. So today we come to the table to remember again how the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you remember, do this as, as often as you drink this cup in remembrance of me. For as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, let's come to the table this morning with hearts and minds turned towards forgiveness. Well, if you are new to Calvary, we are especially glad that you're here with us today. We hope you'll stick around for a few minutes after worship and give us a chance to greet you and to get to know you a little better. Also, as we are looking toward the coming week, remember that this Saturday is our community yard sale. Now, you may have noticed we are doing this a bit differently this time. We are not focusing on our global mission sale. We're going to focus our efforts on doing that really well in the spring. But this time, we really want to focus our efforts on community outreach. We usually have 20 to 25 vendors join us each time we do the community yard sale. And this is a great chance for us to greet them and to get to know them better. And so we still need a lot Lots of help in order to do this on Saturday, whether you come and help set up tables with our neighbors, whether you come and extend hospitality and welcome and just walk around and get to know people or help tear down when it's all over. Alice Fry, our social work intern, is coordinating that and would love to talk with you. And there's a link in the announcements page of your worship folder as well. Also, our search for a minister to children here at Calvary has officially begun. We have already started advertising in lots of places, but we really think one of the best ways to spread the word about this is through you, through the Calvary family. And so you'll see a bit about that in that announcements page in your worship folder. Please take a look. Help us share it. Share it in your workplaces with your friends. Share it on Facebook for us. Um, Chad Eggleston is the chair of our search committee and is already doing a tremendous job. I know he welcomes any feedback and questions you have as well. And next Sunday, join us after service for a taco stack-up lunch. We hope you'll bring generous helpings of food so that we can enjoy that meal together. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen.
Go now in peace. Amen.